Hello. <laughs> My name's Ben, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and just delighted to be worshiping with you. For those whom it is fall break, happy fall break. Before we turn to God's word, let's take a breath, and let's remind ourselves that our God speaks, and his heart is to reveal himself and his heart for us this morning. He's speaking to us. His word is living and active. And so we want to pause and collect our scattered senses. uh, And then I'll pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we need a word from you this morning. And we need your spirit's help. So as uh, we read your word... As I preach, would your spirit attend uh, to our hearts this morning, softening them, making them receptive? Would you open our ears? Would you help us uh, speak to a difficult topic? Um, When you get to these texts, Lord, that have been misused and abused. I just, uh, I know how much we need your help to clarify things. And so I pray for it. Would you speak this morning, Lord? Your servants are listening. We give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Uh, Two scripture texts this morning. I've only sent one to the sound booth, so only one's going to be on the, uh, the old board. Well, we're going to start in Colossians, because that's where we've been. Colossians chapter 3, I'll be reading verses 22 through 4 verse 1, and then I'll have you look up at the screen, because we'll have a reading from the book of Philemon as well. But for now, listen to Colossians 3, 22 through 4, 1. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. And from the book of Philemon, the letter to Philemon, verses 15 and 16. For this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, 
we find ourselves continuing a series in the book of Colossians. And we've been talking about what it looks like when Jesus is made Lord of our relationships. We've talked about what it looks like for Jesus to be Lord of the single experience, for what it looks like to, for Christ to be Lord between husbands and wives, parents and children. There was another set of relationships in the first century household that Paul now addresses. And today we want to glean wisdom from what Paul had to say to masters and slaves. Bond servants is a pretty tame translation. Um, when you get to sections of scripture that have been abused and misused, you must be careful. A writing uh, from Howard Thurman in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited. He said, with a feeling of great temerity, I asked my grandmother one day why it was that she would not let me read any of the Pauline letters aloud to her. What she told me, I will never forget. During the days of slavery, she said, the master's minister would occasionally hold services for the slaves. Old man McGee was so mean that he would not let a black minister preach to his slaves. Always the white minister used his text, something from Paul. At least three or four times a year he used as a text, Slaves, be obedient to them that are your masters, as unto Christ. Then he would go on to show, If we were good and happy slaves, God would bless us. I promised my maker that if I ever learned to read, and if freedom ever came, I would never read that part of the Bible again. And we can understand such things. Needless to say, you come to these sections in the New Testament, and they raise a number of questions. Did the New Testament authors condone slavery? Were they just upholding and maintaining this unjust and brutal status quo? Did Jesus? If not, why didn't Paul write something different? Why didn't he just abolish the whole institution? It's important questions. We'll take our time as we answer them. First, I want us to be reminded of how different Paul's world was from our own. We are entering a world in which the institution of slavery was taken for granted. Every empire, every society up to that point had been built upon it. Doesn't mean it was right, but it meant it was normal. An unquestioned part of life. Scholars believe that more than one-third of Rome's population were slaves. That's a very large number of people. It should also be noted that slavery was not like slavery in American history. In, otherwise it, in other words, it wasn't race-based. Slaves were the victims of economic poverty, the victims of war, but it was not racial 
or ethnic. Anyone could come on hard times and find themselves in indentured servitude. Anyone could become a victim of war. You couldn't look at a person and say by how they looked that this person was a slave. And slaves often found a way to buy their way to freedom. So there's a little more permeable lines here in the ancient culture. This is more a form of indentured servitude, which is why our translation uses the words bondservant. However, as much as slavery in the first century was not identical to slavery in the new world, there is no way to sanitize it. And we shouldn't try to. Paul isn't talking about our relationships at work in this section. It was a brutal and dehumanizing reality where people were treated as less than human as property. I could share many Roman laws to make the point. I'll just share one. In Roman culture, there were laws that a slave could never be called a man, only a boy, because to call someone a man would mean they would have the legal status to own property, to be married, and to have an inheritance themselves. A dehumanizing system. So why not revolt? Why doesn't Paul just say slavery is evil? Abolish it now. I wish he did. But we need to remind ourselves of how different his situation was. We're growing up in a culture where Christianity has at least some measure of socio-political power. And we need to remember that Paul is writing to a beleaguered minority, to an oppressed people. There's maybe a hundred Christians in Colossae at the time, maybe 200 Christians in Rome. The church was, for the most part, persecuted across the ancient world. There was barely any of them at this part of the story, so they had no cultural sway. It would have made no sense for Paul to direct the church to overthrow the institution of first century slavery. They had absolutely no power to do it, and it would have violated their kingdom call to live quiet lives of nonviolence. So what does Paul do? Something a little more subversive. He creates new paradigms for relationships between slaves and masters. Rather than going for the system, which was unrealistic and foolhardy, it would have gotten them all crucified in the end. Paul goes for the hearts of people to begin to steward a new way of life. It's what we've been learning about in the book of Colossians, and it's what he speaks about in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. When he says, Here, in the church, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul says here, there is neither slave nor free. In this kingdom, all are considered brothers and sisters. In this kingdom, Jesus is Lord, and everyone is seeking to follow him. 
to pattern their life off of his life. And if bond servants and masters are rushing to serve one another in this way, if they're tripping over themselves to give themselves away, if in humility they are regarding others as better than themselves, as Paul commanded, then the typical dynamics of slavery would become increasingly untenable and eventually fall away altogether. There is, as Paul wrote, neither slave nor free. It's like yeast in dough. The kingdom of God getting worked into culture to influence it, invisibly spreading through it, imperceptibly permeating and changing the world. He's sowing seeds towards emancipation, aligning people's hearts with the message of Jesus, whose gospel is ultimately always to set the oppressed free. And we see those seeds of emancipation sown in Paul's instructions to slaves and masters in Colossians. However, to give us a sense of what Paul's heart really was in this matter, I thought that it would be fun to turn to the book of Philemon. On the one hand, it gives us a more personal picture a test case of what Paul would actually say in a particular pastoral situation. How do these things all play out? What is Paul really asking masters to do? And then secondly, we should note that this letter was written to one of the house churches in Colossae and was most likely delivered with the letter to the Colossians itself. And so a man named Tychicus delivers the letter to the Colossians and at the same time delivers the letter to Philemon to one of the house churches in Colossians. We know that because the characters in Philemon show up in the last chapter of Colossians when Paul's saying, you should say hello to all of these people. Philemon is Paul's shortest letter. And I would argue it is the most explosive thing that he wrote. Let me set the stage if I could. Philemon was a well-to-do Roman citizen from Colossae who had met Paul during his mission in Ephesus. And through Paul's ministry, Philemon became a follower of Jesus. And then later... When Paul's co-worker Epaphras started a church in Colossae, Philemon became a leader of one of the house churches in that city. Philemon, like all household patriarchs in the Roman world, would have had slaves. One of whose name was Onesimus. Can you say Onesimus? And at some point, they had a serious conflict. Onesimus wronged Philemon in some way. We don't know what it was. Maybe there was a theft. Maybe he cheated him. We don't know. But afterwards, Onesimus ran away. And eventually, he made his way to Paul in prison, likely to appeal for help. He was a fugitive on the run 
he had done something in that culture worthy of death. But in the process of interacting with the Apostle Paul, he becomes a follower of Jesus himself and a beloved companion of Paul. And so Paul finds himself in this delicate situation where he must write a letter. He is going to send Onesimus back. Why send him back to his master? Whew, well, I think it was the only way that he could ensure that Onesimus would live. The laws against fugitive runaways were absolutely brutal. And so he sends Onesimus back, but he says, receive him back and embrace him as a brother and no longer as a slave. He is going to challenge this little house church to become a new society in which there is no longer slave or free, but where Christ is all and in all. And so he sends Onesimus back to the Colossians along with his servant Tychicus who brings this letter. Last bit of introduction before we just read Philemon. We need to understand how first century letters work. So Paul didn't write an ESV version of Philemon. It wasn't called the letter to Philemon. For Philemon, it was just called a bad day because he just got a letter from the apostle. And they didn't hand a copy out to everyone with verses on it and then go through verse by verse and then talk about it. It was just a letter. And that letter would have been performed. So there's actually a a, a class of scholarship that just, um, they just, they educate themselves on how ancient letters were read. And it was very expensive to write a letter. And you wanted to get it across, and only 10% of the population could read. And so they would teach the person going to the letter, they would teach them to perform the letter. They would say, hey, emphasize this word and this word. When you say this line, I want you to look right at Philemon. And I want you to pause to where everybody's a little uncomfortable (laughs) because you paused too much. And And when you say this, I want you to look over at the servants over here because they deserve their day in court too. And they're gonna like what you say at this point. And as he read, you need to know that these people were not Nebraska Presbyterians. They were much more like Pentecostals. And so, He was performing the letter and they were reacting to it. So we have all of this commentary from the ancient world that when people read letters, people would like throw rotten fruit at them and lemons and people would say, yay, at the good stuff and boo at the bad stuff. And this letter is being performed to put Philemon in a corner. And so I want to us to imagine that we are a first century house church. Everyone in the right side of the building, you are Philemon's family. You care about him. When you hear something good about Philemon, you say, yay! And when you hear something bad, you say, boo! And over here, you guys are for Onesimus. 
Onesimus is your buddy. Maybe you are a servant. Maybe you're a member of his family. And when you hear something good about Onesimus, you say, and when you hear something bad, you say, yeah, not Pentecostal, but hey, it's going to work. It's going to be all right. And I knew I was just taking a risk when I did this today. So we're just going to do it. It's fall break. And so here's, the, <laughs> and so, and so here is, here is Paul, here's Paul's representative Tychicus coming into the room with Onesimus. Oh, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Now you didn't respond to that except for Mona. But how you were supposed to respond to it is say, oh, ah, like sympathize with, let me read it again, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah. This is the only letter that he introduces himself as a prisoner. You got to think about the importance of that. This is already a subtle move on his side. He's identifying himself with the marginalized. He's getting closer to Onesimus. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon. Yeah, yeah called to be our, uh, uh, he called him our beloved worker. Yeah, that's a good thing. And Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. We don't know who those people are, maybe his wife, maybe his kid, and the church in their house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love of of all the faithful and towards Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Yeah, yeah, let's just say the man's ego is being stroked a little bit here at this point. For sure. But notice how Paul is setting this up. Notice the word all has a hook in it. Because all is going to be Onesimus in a couple moments. In other words, how far is your love going to go for all the saints? And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's an important verse. The word sharing there is the word koinonia. And it means a mutual participation. It's when two or more people receive something together and become partners in it. And this little house church had received the gospel. And they are equal partners in the gospel who share together in the gift of God's love and grace. And he's saying, Philemon, I pray that this thing that you share with me and with Onesimus will lead you to do everything right and appropriate to that partnership. For Paul, this experience of koinonia isn't just something you think about. It's something you live into in your community. And he's setting him up to do something really Radical, but he doesn't know that at this point. At this point, it's just good news to Philemon. Verse 7 For I have derived 
much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Because the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Oh, man, everybody's happy. This is a wonderful letter. Remember the words refreshed in the hearts. They're coming back to haunt you. You're feeling good about yourself, but here it shifts. Verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Like, oh, I don't, what's he, whoa, where, what, just switch there. And I could tell you, he said, I could tell you what you should do, but I'm going to think that you should do it out of love. This is really a parental tactic. He's saying, I could command you to do what you could do, but you're just going to do it from your own heart because it's what I want you to do. But in this, Paul is modeling for Philemon a new way of having power. He's the one in the power in this relationship. But he's saying, I want it to come from your heart, good sir. Are you ready for some sympathy? I, Paul... An old man. Oh. And now a prisoner also for Christ. Oh. You wouldn't want to let an old prisoner down, would you? Not an old man. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Whose father I became in my imprisonment. Oh, uh, yeah, what? My father, I became in my imprisonment. On the one hand, he's saying, my child, Onesimus. It was Paul's favorite word for talking about people who he's converted under his ministry, his spiritual children. But also Paul is heightening the sense that Onesimus is now a precious person in the family of God. Remember, Philemon, However you deal with him, you are dealing with my child and with God's child. Not only is Philemon a brother, but so is Onesimus. Verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now indeed he is useful to you and me. Here's the thing. Onesimus Onesimus means useful. And so there's a, so it was a common slave name, very degrading actually. It was like calling someone Mr. Handyman. Mr. Useful. And he's saying, okay, so he lost his name. He lost his usefulness to you. But I'm restoring to him and he is useful to you now. In a different kind of way. He has regained his standing with me and with you, he's saying. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. (laughs) I think they would have more than yay, but that was pretty good for Nebraska. If he did social media, he would be like, I'm sending back my heart to you. What's Paul doing? He's, He's raising the stakes again saying that Onesimus has become so entwined in my affections. The word heart here is actually the word for bowels. He's saying, I am so deeply emotionally bound to this man. 
You should be too. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. So apparently Onesimus performed the same gospel help to Paul that Philemon does. He's putting them on the same level here. But he says, verse 14, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. Again, I want this to come from your heart. Then he gets a little theological. Verse 15. For this perhaps is why he was parted to you for a while, that you might have him back forever. 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 For eternity. He appeals to the sovereignty of God saying, I don't know what happened. I don't know why he ran away, but, but could this be an example of, Lord, of the Lord turning evil around and using it for good? And the good would be that you are restored to one another for all eternity. That you guys are restored forever. And then he says it. Verse 16, no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, as a beloved brother. And at that point, that house church just blew up. That was a little love grenade thrown. He says, especially to me, but now listen to this. But how much more to you, both in the flesh just in his humanity and in the Lord because of his faith. Let me read it again. No longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. What an amazing moment in the world in first, in, uh, uh, in early Christianity. I was thinking about the, the Christmas song, Oh Holy Night. The song that you, when it's sung on Christmas Eve, you really hope that you have somebody in your congregation who sings good. Because if you don't, it's a really hard song to sing and it sounds real bad. And so you hope the person doing that solo is decent. But here's the, here's the thing about the Christmas carols. They are powerful third verse truly he taught us to love one another his law is love and his gospel is peace chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease That's what Paul's appealing to right now. The gospel becoming real, neither slave nor free, becoming an actual appeal. No longer a slave, but as a brother, a beloved brother. And so here's the ask, verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, koinonia, same word as before, 
If you consider me your partner, receive him back as you would receive me. Yes. So he recalls that key word from his opening prayer. And he says, if you are truly a partner with me, it's that word again, then welcome Onesimus as if you would welcome me. How could he have said anything stronger? Treat him as you treat an apostle. How would you receive me? How would you treat me? In some ways, he sounds like Jesus here, who said, in so much as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. And it's not the only time that Paul sounds like Jesus in this letter. Look what he says next, verse 18. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And then he picks up the pen. It's the first time that he's written. This is so important to him, it's not the scribe writing anymore. It's Paul. So Tychicus is showing that Paul wrote this part of the letter. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And here we see the gospel just being acted out and embodied. Paul has talked to the Colossians a lot about the reconciling power of Christ. Christ's intent to reconcile all things and all people to himself, making peace by his blood on the cross. And so what's Paul doing? He's making peace. He's embodying the message. He's putting himself in the place of Jesus. He's going to absorb all of the consequences of Onesimus' wrongdoing, he's going to pay the costs, if there are any, so that he can be reconciled to Philemon. At the cross, we were all slaves to sinfulness, sin, and death, and yet Jesus absorbed the consequences of our wrongdoing and reconciled us to God. And because of that, at the cross, we are all equal all sharing the need for the same forgiveness, all richly blessed with the same divine love and grace. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And Paul is saying this is what partnership in the gospel looks like. And then he gives them another dinger. And remember that you owe me your very life. Oh, yeah, that was sharp. That was sharp. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Remember when he said you refreshed the hearts of all the saints? Now he's saying refresh my heart. And then get this, man. Verse 21, confident of your obedience. Oh, Now we're down to brass tacks. Forget love. Forget voluntary. I'm just telling you what I'm going to tell you. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than what I say. Even more. Think about what all he said. No longer a slave, but a brother. Treat him as you would treat an apostle. What's more than that? I'm confident that you will do even more than what I say. 
he's getting the screws kind of put into him right here. And at the last bit of pressure, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For, you wouldn't be laughing, dude. But I am hoping <laughs> that through your prayers, I will be graciously given back to you. I'm going to come and visit. And when I do, I'm going to check on my friend Onesimus. Oh, man. And then he ends with some greetings. Epaphras, my fellow worker in Jesus Christ, sends greetings to you, as does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I just want you to see the Apostle Paul's heart. It's one of the shortest letters in the New Testament. It's one of the most explosive things that he's ever written. And in it, a number of things come together. First, we see Paul challenging the status quo and obviously subverting this broken cultural system, sowing seeds of emancipation. Without explicitly prohibiting slavery, Paul does everything he can do in his power to work out the power of the kingdom in these people's lives. We need to be about that work too. Whether the slavery is economic, racial, sexual, mild, or brutal, Paul's way of dealing with Philemon works to undermine the institution across its various manifestations. And we will too if we're walking in the truth of the gospel. Providing a letter in this way provides accountability that it will be done. And we've seen that across the board on these household codes, haven't we? That in reading these things out loud, he is forming an accountable community so that the kingdom actually forms. And the last thing I would point your attention to is just that Paul himself lives out the message to embody the cross. It's a powerful letter for many reasons, but it's the only letter where Paul doesn't explicitly mention Jesus' death or resurrection. And I don't think that's an oversight. He doesn't need to explain the cross because he's demonstrating it through his actions. Paul is embodying here the meaning of the cross. He has made himself the place through which Onesimus and Philemon are reconciled both to God and to one another. And he's asking us to live lives that are the same. Whether single, whether a husband, a wife, a parent. We are the place where heaven and earth meet and where God begins to reconcile all broken elements to himself. I have great hope that you will do even more than what I ask. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Philemon and how it's such a gift to us because it gives us context into Paul's heart and to what he was doing. I just pray, um, as we close out this section of Colossians, where there's been so many little landmines to avoid, but also opportunities for blessing, 
I pray that we would come out of it having hearts and lives that look more like Christ. So make us all more cross-like in the way we love and care for one another. And thank you for the power of the gospel and how it changes all of our relationships. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen.